Welcome to another episode of the Untangling Web3 podcast. Today is another short, quick fire round on recent events in Web3, specifically around what's been happening with Binance and FTX, some of the lawsuits that have come out, some of the fines. I know Jack's got a lot of strong opinions. How are you doing today, Jack? Yeah, yeah, all good. Excited to get my, my teeth into this one. People are probably surprised that we haven't talked about these topics in too much detail yet. So yeah, let's uh, let's unleash ourselves on them today. <laughs> I think people will also be surprised that we're wearing the exact same outfit. <laughs> we're slowly becoming one person. I think uh, our voices are quite yeah. similar. Maybe we need to differentiate a little bit. We're Gemini today, the other exchange. but We won't touch on them, <laughs> but uh, we're playing that role. We're the Winklevite today. Yeah, so I think this is a really important one. I know that like there's been a lot of events and a lot of these events have been talked about for actually quite a while now. But it's really coming to a culmination, especially as we're constantly going on about institutional adoption, Web 2 versus Web 3, like how right, how important regulation is coming into this space. And in my mind, a lot of these recent events, they've been hugely impactful to the crypto industry, right, generally, but Web 3 um, more broadly. And I think it's really interesting to see what, in my mind, are growing pains as Web3 and Web2 kind of the overlap and the Venn diagram slowly starts to increase. And I think this is a really interesting time to actually start to explore those things. Yeah, yeah. I think um, this is, we might have a difference of opinion on this one today because, you know, I, I see a lot of what's happened recently more as just a classic human failings, right? Just you can't trust mm -hmm. people. I don't see it so much as like a technological difference or, or or because i don't i don't see it as coming from the philosophies of web 3 and web 2 i see it very much as you know history repeating itself and not learning from the failures we've had before web 3 before we had these crypto mm. companies but yeah well we'll get into the details and maybe i'm wrong but um you know i'm, maybe I'm too cynical on this one now that is interesting i do agree there's always human error at the core of these but i think maybe a lot of people have put more faith into these projects because they think, you know, are they blockchain based? Are they transparent? Are they Web3? So there must be, everything must be regulated. Everything must be trustworthy. There's no, they're all decentralized. There's no way one person can screw up all these things. And I think maybe there's a lower barrier to trust because of those reasons. But like we're going to see, the systems were as flawed as they are in Web2 companies. It allows individuals to manipulate the systems. I think that's probably the angle that I come, come at it from. But yeah, I take your point. Yeah, no, that's that's fair enough, and maybe I'm being too too harsh on it. I think because um, the ones we're going to focus on, right, are Binance and FTX, as you said, and mm -hmm. really they are they are just companies providing a service to Web three, right? But they leverage a lot of the same terminology, a lot of the same ethos around decentralization. You know, all the stuff we hear in blockchain. I think I agree with you. That's where people might think, okay, this is a all the stuff we say as well about a fair or equitable peer-to-peer -peer way of doing things. And then you get these companies who insert themselves in the middle to offer a service. And as we said recently in our, our TradFi and DeFi episodes, your, your exchanges are offering a service if run correctly, but they are at the end of the day, just companies with fallible people clearly in the middle. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think there's maybe a blurring of lines between what yeah. the actual companies are and what the things they supposedly stand for, you know? Yeah. So speaking of those uh, fallible people, let's kick off. We're going to start with Binance. So Binance was founded in 2017 by 
Dang Peng Zhao. I think most people probably know him as CZ. He's quite a big uh, figure in the space, right? And, you know, Binance very quickly, like a lot of these projects, um, became huge very fast. And I think one of the, the big things about Binance is that it offered a really diverse portfolio, lots and lots of different assets, it had a very easy to use user experience, user interface, all these kind of things. And they be quick, quickly became the, the largest exchange in, in the world, especially by trade volume. So they're very big on high frequency, many trades and things like this. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I actually remember probably around 2018, 2019, first coming across Binance before it was a huge thing. I remember thinking, actually, this is uh, this doesn't look that impressive right now. It didn't have a great app when I mm -hmm. first looked at it. But it, it, as you're right, it quickly became you know, the most widely used crypto exchange. A lot of that is to do, as you say, basically being come one, come all, right? Getting all the tokens mm -hmm. on there. It built its own blockchain, Binance Smart Chain, and has its own token, BNB, its mm -hmm. own cryptocurrency. So it basically, you know, it, they, they've kind of said yes to everything, right? They said yes, and let's just do this and that. They've offered all sorts of different products, staking services, like we talked about in the DeFi episode. Um, they've, I think lots of people saw them as a very forward thinking, right, for the crypto people. I know that, you know, things like Lightning Network and Bitcoin, which we've kind of not covered too much, but they have been trying to adopt that as well. So people saw them as, as kind of a crypto first exchange, right? They mm. weren't the enemy. Then people did not see them like a traditional financial player coming in to take a slice of the pie. They looked much more like a, like, like a new player who was trying to serve customers who yeah. are in Web3 and crypto, right? And I think a, a stat that was kind of staggering for me is that in terms of like the daily volume of transactions, they're obviously the largest in the world, but the actual degree to which they are the largest is they offer three times, they actually create three times more transactions per day than the next three exchanges combined. So it's just like, it's quite staggering, right? And 90% of their total revenue comes from transaction fees associated with this. And I think this is probably going to relate, you know, the actual kind of um, USP of Binance actually relates to probably part of the, not the downfall, but some of the fines they've been facing is because they have so many users, so many cryptos, so much going on. They have like no friction whatsoever. And that's part of one of the, I think it's one of their principles, right? They don't want to offer frictions to anything getting on there. So in that way, they had very weak, you know, your customer policies, very weak anti-money laundering policies. And this is where we actually start. This is some of the reasons why we actually started to see a lot of fines coming out specifically in the US. Yeah, exactly. I think if I would describe, you know, as we said before, crypto as being like the Wild West, CZ was probably the sheriff, right? <laughs> or, or maybe not, maybe not the, maybe the, 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 um, the corrupted sheriff, maybe. So he, you know, Binance had, yeah, had a very open stance and basically saw this gap in the regulatory uncertainty, the fact that the SEC and DOJ, et cetera, weren't moving too quickly to classify certain tokens like Ethereum as securities, for example, and other, other tokens not being too clear, kind of not making the first move on regulation. And really, you know, they were given maybe not an inch, they were maybe given a mile and they took 100 miles, right? They just, they took that as the green light to go and expand, start, you know, playing by their own rules effectively. I mean, one of the things, so obviously we're talking about this now the uh, day of recording in light of the the big penalties we've just seen right so cz and binance agreed to this this, this four billion dollar penalty right that is warping. That is so much money just in the us as well that is crazy 
Yeah, I saw a video actually of him being grilled on on an American news channel saying, you know, if you had to pay a two billion fine right now, could you back it up? And he didn't seem too convinced then. So that's doubling <laughs> the fine, right? It's 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 crazy. But you know, some of the things that that they kind of were, were alleged in in this suit against. I think this is the DOJ suit, and there are actually other ones that are still unsettled. But one of the things alleged is that kind of they weren't operating in the US. They weren't supposedly allowed to operate in the US because they didn't mm. really have an entity there. So they weren't supposedly being supposed to be able to serve US customers. And then the allegations were kind of that they were doing this underhanded thing because they had been serving US customers from the beginning, from the early days. That was a big percentage yeah. of their market share, like I think 20 to 30% I saw was how much of their market share was US based. And then they were doing all sorts of weird things like ringing people up supposedly and getting them to kind of create new accounts, but not under the US banner. It was very strange what was happening, but um, yeah, you know, very un Crazy. unnerving stuff. So yeah, I think that was part of it. It was a, a large part of this fine was for them basically allowing the business and transactions and trading of unregistered crypto derivatives specifically in the US. And I think that was like 3 billion of the total fine. Another really interesting one was the, the type of characters they actually had trading on there. So there was um, there was links for uh, actually like organizations like Al Qaeda, ISIS, Hamas were all using um, Binance as a means to actually transact. And this is, you know, people actually went away, I think it was Coindesk or something like that, actually found and linked this back to Binance. And the reason they were able to do this, obviously, the international organization, these, these terrible terrorist organizations, the reason they were able to do this is because Binance really didn't want to have any friction to use a sign-up. So they didn't have, you know, know your customer. You didn't have to put your identity to actually start trading these. You didn't have to do a likeness test. So it was really easy for these organizations to transfer money internationally around the globe, obfuscate it, and then actually use it for criminal transactions. So that was another big part of the fine. And I think one of the interesting things around this that I saw was that I think it was CZ specifically as well, as well as like a lot of the, the top tier at Binance were made aware of this, made aware of these terror, terrorist organizations doing this kind of nefarious activities using Binance. There's emails being sent to them and they were just like completely ignored it. They're like, don't worry, mm -hmm. this is just like, this is part of the part of the parcel. And I think that's partly one of the reasons why CZ was directly fined himself. Um, you know, he resigned as the, the CEO of Binance due to these anti-money anti laundering failures that he, you know, actually saw and did nothing about. But one of the interesting things is he's still like a major stakeholder in the company. So despite him stepping down as like the public appearance of, oh, I'll no longer be part of Binance, he's going to be really influential regardless, right? Yeah, exactly. And the AML stuff is, is particularly interesting. I mean, again, in some of the allegations I saw, it looked like they were doing things whereby even when they had knowledge, not, not just being passive and so, and they had knowledge that customers might have been, you know, taking money into and out of the dark web and things like that. I think Hydra is the name of, of, of that. Maybe we'll probably get our podcast shut down by someone probably <laughs> mentioning. But like even when they had knowledge, one of the allegations showed an email or something telling that customer they had to shut the account down, but you could just go and make another one, right? We, we, they they, oh they can't God. know. It's like that meme of the guy you know at the, the football ground just doing the pat down check and not actually touching that is a niche reference jesus guys I probably yeah sorry i, I really hope reference. someone gets that but yeah you're right yeah. And, and cz is still he's a huge player right he's very well known in the web3 world I and mean, we'll come on to this role in, in what happened with ftx as well but he was seen as kind of one of these very pro crypto people people have rallied around him um mm -hmm. one thing i will say as well is that 
I find it ironic. They've kind of seemed to have had their cake and eaten it as well in terms of regulation and law, because as we mentioned on a previous episode, there was a there was a hack at one point on Binance, I think. Mm. And they were talking about, you know, coordinating with Bitcoin miners or Ethereum miners, I forget which one, to roll back the blockchain, right? Because they wanted to get their funds back. So they're happy mm. to cooperate with people and kind of play the victim when it suits them. But but actually, they're, they're really just, you know, they're just doing whatever they needed to make the money at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, it's completely right. So, yeah, just, just to summarize what actually happened, it was moving forward. I mean, Binance is somewhat unaffected. They're still the biggest exchange in the world. Like the CEO has stepped down. They're saying they're going to take steps to be more regulatory compliant. Um, they've like made some changes across the board, but Binance is almost certainly going to be okay. They're going to continue to operate. Maybe they'll be slightly more hesitant at how they operate in the US specifically, but globally operations are continuing as usual, right? So the next big one we have, which I think is maybe even more famous than the Binance one, is FTX. I'm sure everyone's heard of the FTX scandal, you know, closure, but FTX, similarly to Binance, was exchanged, founded in 2019 by the infamous Sam Bankman-Fried, uh, SBF, you might know of him. Um, and actually quite similar to Binance, like their whole USP was that they had one of the largest market offerings, largest crypto variations uh, of all the exchanges. So I think they were the, the leading in terms of the, the number of offerings they had um, and Binance was second. So it was FTX and Binance. So that was what their main USP is. They had even lower friction to actually getting registered on the exchange. And yeah, it's an absolutely fascinating scandal, this one. Yeah, well, and, and you say, you know, they had um, this kind of uh, similar USP as well when, when you're talking about how, how frictionless and everything was. But actually, w one of the big, they were kind of the good, the, the, the good face of mm. Web3, the good face of crypto exchanges, because uh, arguably their biggest USP for the financial institutions we have today and the regulators was that Sam Bankman-Fried, SBF, was incredibly pro-regulation, right? And mm. part of what, well, as we'll see with the downfall that came, was because he was actually poking fun at, at CZ about cooperating with with Washington DC, and because one of the times that SBF became much more famous, I mean, he had this perception of a of a, of a genius kind of billionaire, but also phil philanthropic as well, right? That he was, mm. you know, supposedly uh, didn't spend his money on on nice things. He wanted to give away. He had this supposed effective altruism they called it he was trying to make money so he could improve the world um yeah. so people really liked him and he was very pro-regulation he would go to uh depositions and things or, or hearings with u.s legislators and he would sit down with them and explain with them and he was the poster boy for responsible crypto for a long time right yeah i mean they i think he was referred to as the jp morgan of crypto mm. before he became this controversial figure amidst the the crisis but yeah so like one of the shocking things for me was how quickly ftx went from nothing to this huge huge organization like we say they were established mm. in 2019 and by early 2022 they were 32 billion um, they had 24% of the entire market, crypto market share by 2022, and they were trading volumes of around $3 trillion. It's like huge, huge amounts. Um, and like I say, Sam Bankman-Fried obviously had a lot of involvement with SushiSwap. So we had a foundation in this area, which obviously made FTX like quite a, a kind of um, a desirable application and an efficient application as well. 
Yeah, exactly. I think that's where the JP Morgan thing came around, right? Because he basically helped bail out this this project with SushiSwap that was migrating from Uniswap to SushiSwap. The guy doing it originally kind of abandoned what was happening and then he stepped in. And then from that moment, he was seen as this kind of philanthropic guru who was trying to do the best for, for the markets. And then, yeah, FTX. I, I, I remember all that happening, actually, the SushiSwap event. And then the next thing I knew, I started seeing his face everywhere with the FTX and you know, he was he was just lapped up by institutional investors, by the big venture capital players in, in the world. Sequoia Capital, I think, was one of the, the big investors in FTX. And then you start seeing FTX at the Super Bowl and, and with all these celebrity endorsements, you know, now there's a class action suit against them. But at the time, it, it looked, you know, all, 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 all smelling like roses from everything he did. Like he couldn't do anything wrong at the time, which was it's crazy to think where we were a few years ago to, to where it's ended up. Yeah, I think one of the, the crazy things about this is everything was going smoothly. There was no kind of indication that things were going wrong. And then Coindesk released this article on, in November, on November 2nd, 2022, about this or Alameda research and the, the link between the two. How much do you know about this, Jack? Yeah, I, I know a fair bit about it. But I mean, go on, if you've, uh, if you've looked into it more recently, maybe you go ahead and summarize it for us. So my understanding is that um, FTX had uh, a token, a coin that they were using and they were putting investment through, right? It was called the FTT token or something like this. Yeah. Um, and effectively, let's say one of the big uh, applications or reasons that people will come into FTX was that they had this um, this actual, you could invest money and they would they had a market predictor and that actually that would be used for you to actually get returns on this, right? And that, that was one of the big reasons that people will come into this. And a lot of this went through the FTT token, right? And Alameda, which was a separate organization, which was set up by Sam Bankman-Fried, was actually using the funds that were associated with these FTT tokens that people were investing in and siphoning it off and investing in other areas. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, pretty much, I think. like So if you wind back to before FTX was even a thing, I believe Alameda Research existed before and yeah, was set up by Sam Bankman-Fried, basically a, a trading firm or a hedge fund, I think trading crypto i mean they had the how they rose to prominence is funny because they basically had this um this big arbitrage opportunity where they noticed mm -hmm. one bitcoin exchange maybe it was in japan i think was trading bitcoin way below above a market price so they went they would go and buy it all up there and then sell it on the rest of the market made a huge mm -hmm. profit and that's how they became kind of noteworthy and then a few years later ftx is established and Alameda Research continues, you know, basically as a client of FTX mm -hmm. itself. So they are supposedly, and this is what Sam Bankman-Fried said, they were just like a customer of FTX using the derivatives trading on there. All mm -hmm. the while, Alameda was being run by, by Sam Bankman-Fried's <laughs> uh, girlfriend at the time, right? Carolyn Ellison. Mm -hmm. So there's clearly a bit of a conflict of interest there. And a lot of this, you know, as, as was pointed out in the Coindesk report, it basically alleged that, there was this kind of commingling of funds potentially, or mm -hmm. basically Alameda Research was being allowed to dip into the pockets of FTX and the customer funds there to fund its trading activities, which seemed to be going pretty badly at the time. So that's how this all kicked off, really. Yeah, and they saw that there might have been like an overinflation of numbers where numbers were being misrepresented on one side and compared with the other side to, you know, self-inflate and all this kind of stuff. But the point was that this Coindesk article effectively exposed this strong relationship between Alameda Research, the dependency on this FTT token, and them effectively dipping into FTX's pockets to fund all their investment opportunities. Yeah. And this like triggered this massive platform downfall. 
Yeah, exactly. And not just the fact that they were linked, right? But also, I think it was to do with the balance sheet of FTX because they supposedly had billions in assets. But, you know, I'm glad mm -hmm. we talked about TradFi recently because the big word is liquidity, right? They had a lot mm -hmm. of uh, assets locked up in very illiquid assets. And I think it was around mm -hmm. 5 billion of their balance sheet was supposedly in their own FTT token. And that's the pool of funds that Alameda was basically degenerately gambling on by the looks of things. So, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the, the fascinating things was that the platform effectively experienced a bank run, right? And within 72 hours, 6 billion was drawn out. And this like obviously created uh, uh, reducing all the resources to a critically low point. I think one of the things that I read was at one point, FTX just had one Bitcoin remaining in their reserves after all this run, which is absolutely crazy. And then to link it back to what we were talking about earlier, um, where there's a bit of like political discord between um, Binance CEO at the time, CZ, well, he actually impacted the collapse by initially offering an acquisition saying, you know, FTX is experiencing a bank run, there's a liquidity crisis, maybe we can come in, Binance and buy them out, support them. And then there were some political kind of, uh, wasn't there some things on Twitter of them disagreeing online? And then um, CZ withdrew the offer and um, sold all of Binance's holdings of the FTT tokens um, and actually kind of perpetuated this, this bank run even further. So this is where it gets really interesting, I think, when, when CZ comes into the picture. And it goes back, as I was saying earlier, to this difference between FTX and, and Binance. You know, FTX being looking like the poster boy for regulation and Binance being a little bit more Wild West, more than a little bit more. Um, <laughs> and there's this famous tweet where Sam Bankman-Fried basically calls out CZ, implying, you know, is he allowed on US soil? Like, how can he, how can he go and help the regulators in America? You know, basically calling into question his his legitimacy um, from a from a legal standpoint, and from there, kind of this big feud. Apart from the fact that they were the number one and two exchange in the world, this feud mm. grew and grew. And it looks like you know, it's hard to tell exactly what happened with the order operations because CZ, as you said, offered to well said he was going to buy out FTX and look like the savior, and then a few days mm -hmm. later retracted the offer and. One explanation is that he had a closer look. Did he, They said they did due diligence and maybe a lot of the funds that were supposedly just illiquid, so it would take time to sell them and, and get the money back, but fundamentally the money was there. They were mm -hmm. actually insolvent rather than illiquid, so the, the assets just okay. didn't exist because of this relationship with Alameda. They basically just siphoned all this money away to Alameda and they, they didn't actually have it. So, But yeah, it's hard to know how much of it was just CZ doing a power play there. Who knows? But um, yeah, yeah he, he, he really played a big role in the downfall. The divas of crypto, right? So where we're at now is effectively there's a class action lawsuit which accuses FTX and interestingly, it's celebrity endorsers of false representation, deception, effectively this is a ponzi scheme and you lied to us now, i don't know what's going to happen with all the celebrity endorsers well that would be quite interesting because there was a lot of them and these are really high profile celebrity endorsers um and, and the lawsuit effectively alleges there was a misuse of customer funds and improper inter-entity transfers ftx eg it was being used by the sister company without their knowledge and i think yeah, everyone's probably seen the photos and videos of sam bagman fried being arrested for personally wire frauding and money laundering um, I mean, there was loads of things coming out about him, you know, in the dying days, maybe of FTX when there was this, this, this kind of bank run, sending money to his mom and dad and like all the kind of misappropriation of funds there as well. Yeah. And, you know, as you said, there's this class action that's kind of pending and lots of other big players have been added. I think um, maybe 
the F1 body and also baseball, I think it was, Major League Baseball were added to this mm. class action because they were involved. You know, one of the big MLB stadiums uh, was the FTX arena for a short period of time and that kind of thing. And some of the evidence that came out, I don't know if you how closely you watched it, Alec, but some of the evidence is really shocking from the from the SBF specific, the criminal case that's mm. just concluded. And, and obviously he's uh, he's now been indicted. But like, for example, they had um, I think the CTO was testifying and showing the code in court that there's literally a function, basically, or parameter mm. that let Alameda have a negative balance. Right. So they could have a negative account <laughs> balance. They were like the only looks like they were the only customer customer of FTX that could have a negative balance. And then they could just withdraw ad infinitum, oh basically. And that's how this big this big hole was burned. I mean. I think the number is something like nine billion was the hole left between their actual oh liquid God. assets and, and the liabilities. It's just it's sickening because obviously people are just going to lose a lot of money from this. Yeah, I mean, and like you say, it's probably the action of individuals rather than the technology itself. Like, there's no difference between it being a Web three company or Web two company. It's individuals yeah. being able to misappropriate these funds and acting in, in you know nefarious ways. Yeah, exactly, and that's why. I, I agree that there is a relationship with regulation here, right? Because it's showing that there is regulatory teeth to this and, you know, things like mm. the class action, things like the fact that the Binance and CZ lawsuit is coming from, you know, people like the DOJ, I think is the main uh, belligerent in this in this first one that they paid the, the fine for. It shows that there is teeth now and we're seeing it by the day more and more cases come up and, and settlements being made and things like that. But yeah. to my mind, it's more the fact that individuals in the ecosystem have just been taking advantage of a seemingly lax environment for a number of years, right? And I, I, I hate, personally, I hate when people say crypto is unregulated because as we've said, lots of them are being classified as securities for which there's mm -hmm. a ton of regulation and they're all falling afoul of that now, right? It's just when when do these things get applied in my mind? Um, but yeah, that, that's, my, yeah. that's how I view it. I mean, yeah, you look at like, the, I mean, there's Web2 company fines all the time, like for various reasons, mm. be it GDPR, be it like the 2008 financial crash, like lots of companies has, have been fined and individuals specifically have been fined for misappropriating funds. It's maybe there's something around Web3 specifically because of the rapid growth that they're experiencing. Like some companies have gone from startup to huge multi-international $100 billion companies in the course of years. Like I think FTX was the end even though it was like worth 32 billion, had like 200 employees or something like that. Mm. And there's no way that you can keep up purely with like the regulatory compliance standards with 200 employees, let alone an entire company. And I think you are right. I think there's a lot of people that are just waiting to naysay because there's so much volatility around crypto and because they're adverse to it. I don't know what it is. But yeah, I think it's people at the end of the day, not the space itself that's the problem. Yeah, but I do. I do. I think you hit the nail on the head there with like the fundamental difference here to the traditional world and traditional finance where you have other you know violations and things like that in the past is the growth factor and how fast the prices can grow and go it's going to mm -hmm. spiral in crypto the fact that it was perceived like a lucrative investment by so many people in the social media age and that it is it is still a wild west of tokens you can still spin up a new one every day um mm -hmm. i think that's the difference right this lack of understanding doesn't necessarily make the tech any different in the long run or doesn't mean it will come under a different regulatory jurisdiction in the long run. But yeah. in the short term, more people are getting affected, right? More people are buying into the various narratives, whether or not they're right, whether or not they're correct, mm -hmm. you know? Um, 
and they're 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 the ones that ultimately are losing out just because it's been such a high growth FOMO industry, right? People don't want to miss out on the next the next pump, and that's how we keep seeing this over and over again. I think the next pump, like here's such a chat. Um, yeah, I mean, what does this all mean though? Like for me, these things mean certainty probably in the market. It's good to show the regulators are starting to get to grips and understand that these companies do come under you know regulatory kind of observation and the regulatory umbrella it's good to show that you know the us has teeth potentially so that you know companies comply and at the end of the day more compliance means more certainty for investors for consumers and that will probably lead to more adoption right there's so many big institutional players that just want that regulatory certainty before they go into these spaces so i personally see a lot of these fines and all these class actions as good things because it means that companies will push more and more to compliance which will lead to adoption hopefully i mean we actually had gracie chen on here recently from BitGet, another exchange and what she said was actually a lot of this turbulence means that they're not going to target the US, for example, because of the uncertainty, because of these class actions. Mm. They want to wait for the, you know, the dice to fall before they start to push into those spaces, which is quite interesting. Yeah, I, I fundamentally just totally agree with you, right? Like it's it is a good thing that we're we're going through all this pain as an industry to weed out the bad actors, you mm. know, and, and people losing a lot of money in the process. But it's good that there is coming to a resolution. It will presumably deter people in the future from going down a similar path and it will also make people more wary of again because that's why i keep coming back to people have been wary of the technology and then they find a couple of people to invest in that they believe in and it's no you need to be very diligent about who you're investing in as well uh, in this space my my only kind of worry i think the only caveat i would say to it being a good thing is that you could have a kind of overcorrection from here, from a regulatory point where things crack down so much that it that it suffocates a lot of the good actors who have been, you know, throughout this whole period and we've just you know been going through this crypto winter have been suffering just from the market perceptions anyway, regardless of FTX and, and CZ. Um, you know, one example I would have is like what happens if Ethereum does get classified as a security tomorrow, right? Because mm. sure. Some people who were around founding Ethereum will will be punished for that, presumably. But the confidence in the systems will plummet. The prices will probably drop, and the the retail holders will again be be damaged by that kind of action. So that's the only thing mm-hmm. that worries me is that overcorrection could still end up hurting a lot of a lot of retail investors. Yeah, I mean, I can I completely take that point. And I think one of the interesting things is you expect I expected all of these fines, all of these issues with you know the crypto exchanges to actually lead to a dip in the market. And you know, it's early December, it's December 5th right now, and everything's rocketing, which is interesting. And I think maybe people more and more, the, the more fines we experience, the more regulatory impact we see on the market, the more people want to invest because the more they see that governments are starting to read into this, understand it, get to grips with it, and potentially lead to more adoption. And I think that's quite exciting. Yeah, I was just going to add to that very quickly. Yeah, I, I agree. There's like, there, there, there will probably be a perception, maybe that's what we're seeing in the market of this all being priced in and actually now that the regulators are showing teeth, the market is more confident, right? Because you have mm. these, these the guardian angels you normally have protecting consumers in traditional markets are actually, they are still there because until recently, you it's not been clear that they are to help people out. So yeah, I, just to echo your thoughts, I think, um, I, I think it's a very good thing overall what's happening now. Yeah, and I'm sure, importantly, we'll see a, a lot more of this going forward and we'll have more episodes to cover them. Um, but on that note, Thank you to those listening, wherever you may be, and join us next time as we untangle a little more of Web3.
Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Untangling Web3, produced by Emma Camilleri. Don't forget to send us your thoughts, questions, and comments on social media. And be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast provider to catch the next episode. See you next time to untangle a little bit more of Web3. The views we express here are our own and do not reflect the views of our employers.